After Jesus was baptized by John in the River Jordan, he went into the desert where he was tested or tempted. And then he came back to Galilee where his ministry began. In today's reading, the lectionary would have us stop after the 21st verse and then finish that story next week. But we're going to go ahead and read the whole story. So I have an assistant to read this, what Paul Harvey used to call the rest of the story. But first, let us pray for elimination. Extravagant God, send your Holy Spirit to dwell within us so that we may have strength of purpose to live out your calling this day and every day. And let the words of your scripture and the teaching of your son Jesus be a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Listen now for God's word for us and the fourth chapter of Luke, starting at the 14th verse. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let, the, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard that you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord.
O Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you have a mission statement? A while back, having a mission statement to frame and display prominently, that was the new, the hot, the trendy thing to do. It was often done poorly and prompting one wag to put that a mission statement is defined as a long, awkward sentence that demonstrates management's inability to think clearly. And then that wag added, all good companies have one. Well, that little joke is true on both counts. A good mission statement clarifies a businesses and organizations, a persons, a churches, priorities, activities, direction, a sense of mission sets a goal, a destination. You see, if you don't know where you're going, you just might end up someplace else. Well, business gurus have long said that everyone in a company or an organization needs to be able to answer <coughs> one simple question. What business are you in? In other words, why are you here? Well, in his first sermon in, in his hometown of Nazareth, reading from the prophet Isaiah, Jesus told the people of Nazareth, and therefore us, why he was here, what you could call his mission statement. He did it by reading those first verses of the 61st chapter of Isaiah, saying, Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. When Jesus told the congregation in Nazareth, that synagogue that Isaiah's prophet was fulfilled in their hearing, he claimed that anointing of the Spirit, that is, Jesus was authorized, energized, to do God's transformative work. Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's anointed me. And what is Jesus anointed to do? Good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So five things. Good news for the poor, captives released, sight for the blind, freeing the oppressed, and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. What do those things have? Poverty, ca captivity, blindness, oppression. What do those things have in common? Every one of them diminishes life. They reduce the joy in life. They curtail a person's freedom of choice in life, a person's control over their own life. Jesus' mission is to make life better, more meaningful, more joyful. Now notice, I didn't say it was to make it easier or happier or more successful in terms of finances or fame because the life of discipleship, the life of following Jesus is not necessarily easy or happy or successful, at least not according to the standards of the world at large. And what is this year of the Lord's favor proclaimed in the 19th verse? Well, it's the time called Jubilee. In Old Testament, uh, back in Leviticus, I believe, that we read of a practice called Jubilee. 
it was announced with a trumpet sound. In fact, the Hebrew word for trumpet, for our trumpet player, we should say, the Hebrew word for the trumpet is yabal. And that's what we get the word jubilee from. Well, this was a, the year of jubilee came every 50 years. It was an economic correction of sorts. In ancient Israel, you could not sell land in perpetuity because God owned all the land. You only had it assigned to you. So every 50 years, the land would revert to the original owners. Idea is you only sold land if you were just so hard up you couldn't do anything else to get by. So in the, in the year of Jubilee, debts were forgiven, wiped out. It was to be basically an economy that did not allow a vast gap between the haves and the have-nots. Because life was not to be about seizing all the marbles. Because life in the community of faith does not consist in getting more, but in sharing well. Well, I've often quoted Walter Brueggemann has written that the vision, this vision of God's future is not about not so much angels who've gone to heaven floating around in the sky with loved ones. This vision is rather about God's kingdom coming on earth as it already is in heaven. God's rule where the practices of justice and mercy and kindness are every day, the order of the day. It's a vision of a world that as a peaceable neighborliness in which no one is under threat, no one is at risk, no one is in danger because all are safe and all are valued, all are honored and all are cared for. That finally what is odd and true and demanding and glorious about the gospel, that God wills and acts toward a neighbor toward neighborliness that curbs greed, that vetoes fear, that removes the causes of violence. Jesus read verses from the 61st chapter of Isaiah, prophecy he told his hearers were being fulfilled in their appearing, in their presence. And in so doing, he claimed it as his mission statement. So why are you here on this earth? Well, you know that our denomination has two parts to the Constitution. The second part is called the Book of Order. That one, that's the part that has rules and guidelines for worship and government and discipline in the Presbyterian Church. The first part of our Constitution is called the Book of Confessions. It includes documents that state what it is we believe from the Nicene Creed to the Apostles' Creed, which we will profess together in a few minutes, to longer documents, well, for example, the Westminster Confession. That section includes two catechisms, that is, sets of questions and answers that were to be used to educate believers. There's the larger catechism for adults and more advanced folks, and then the shorter catechism much of which I memorized as a child and in Georgia, and, and perhaps you did too. The very first question in both of these catechisms sets forth what could be called a mission statement for us. 
Now, I'll mention that the Westminster Confession, that was written in 1643. And back then, nobody had ever heard of inclusive language. When they said man, they meant humankind. Well, now we're more particular with our language, so uh, let me uh, modernize it slightly. What is the chief end of humanity? And the answer being the chief end, the mission of humankind is to glorify and enjoy God forever. Or your mission statement might be one of the a version of what one of the verses that that answer is based on, where Paul writes in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, whatever you do, do everything, everything for the glory of God. So I'll borrow the words of the poet Mary Oliver, recently deceased, who asked, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. Thanks be to God. Go out into the world proclaiming Christ in every corner, admonishing and teaching with all wisdom so that everyone can comprehend fully the presence and witness of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now receive the blessing of God whose mercy knows no end. Receive the blessing of Christ who is patient and eager to give us words of life. Receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit who moves us and gives us power to do God's will. Amen.